Take the conversation. It's your host, Adrian Lawrence. And as we work our way toward the new year, we are definitely working our way toward honoring those who have definitely given back and made some change. And among them is Edgardo Maldanda. That's right, he's the executive director of SEP. That's a disaster resilience and recovery nonprofit. Thanks so much for joining us, Edgardo. Thank you, Adrian, for having me, and good night to you. Yes, all right. So at the end of this month, SVP will be celebrating the 250th home completed in Puerto Rico since Hurricane Maria five years ago. That is huge. Tell us about your work. Sure, we started five years ago after Hurricane Maria hit the island as a category five hurricane, um, affecting all of the island. SBP sent immediately a team of AmeriCorps members in deployment to help recovery. And we started right after that our rebuilding operations. And just last month, we celebrated our 250th completion. Uh, we did a welcome home party last week for our homeowner, Jose Nieves, who's a veteran, and his mother, who's 99 years old. Uh, so it was really a pleasure to see this family come back home after almost five years of Hurricane Maria affected affecting your, her, their home. Absolutely, because I would imagine that it impacted a considerable number of people as we know that Hurricane Maria was the deadliest so far in Puerto Rico in, uh, in more than a century to my understanding. And also the deadliest named Atlantic hurricane of the 21st century to date. And that is so incredibly significant in part because there were so many deaths as well as a considerable loss there. So uh, I guess, when you stepped in and your organization was looking at the extent of the damage, did you feel overwhelmed? Yes, uh, it was a hurricane that affected the whole island uh, with millions of dollars in damages and thousands of homes destroyed and many of them damaged. So what we did was we started in local communities uh, and started assessing the damage and seeing how we can affect these uh, small communities first. So we can start growing exponentially to other communities as well. So it's it, it was it's overwhelming and it still is that there are a lot of clients in our pipeline waiting for help. And now the Fiona, Hurricane Fiona affected the island a couple of months ago. More work needs to be done across the whole island. Absolutely, and I do understand about um, there also being an earthquake in 2020, and these things are almost compounding in terms of the disasters. So I would understand why a lot of people would leave the island, but also the people who stayed and have been investing in rebuilding. That um, I'm guessing those are the people who you've been relying on in terms of helping rebuild those communities. Is that right? Yes, most of our AmeriCorps members who serve with us and are the people that are doing the job with us with our team of subcontractors. The majority are from the island, uh, dedicated to serve their own communities as well. But we also have a lot of help from volunteers from the states that come in their free time. We had a lot of college students coming during their spring break and summer to help rebuild the island. So I really want to commend all everyone who's interested in helping and everyone who's volunteered with us and donated funds so we can keep rebuilding our work in the island. Yes, and I definitely commend them as well because having them uh, devote their time to uplift and to rebuild 
Because uh, I would imagine that it can be extremely stressful and difficult. And so uh, having their efforts is something very much appreciated and valued. And I also know that with Hurricane Maria, there were uh, at least some 2,900 excess deaths that were linked to the hurricane. And I believe about almost $95 billion in damages. And so as I would imagine, uh, as we've kind of touched upon it, you know, it can give you a, a sense of defeat, uh, again, overwhelming. But you say that there are a lot of people who stepped up and have been working and investing uh, in their time and ensuring that they can help rebuild. What would you say is probably your most difficult challenge in this undertaking? Well, I think right now being a small organization, we definitely wanna do as much as we can. Uh, so every bit of funding helps. Uh, to this day, we have been fortunate to do a lot of repairs and rebuilds, but we haven't been able to do new builds. Five years almost after the hurricane, there are a lot of families whose homes were destroyed. that are still waiting for the federal funds for them to be able to help rebuild their complete home. So we hopeful that uh, in the near future, we can do that as well as we can provide other means of housing as affordable housing for people who lost their home or have left the island and decided to come back. Uh, so we really wanna continue helping more than just repair. We wanna do these new bills that I know so many families desperately want. Absolutely. And I would imagine it wasn't very um, helpful of the federal government at that point in time uh, as we were under the Trump administration in terms of getting the aid and support. Have things changed at all with the Biden administration? Yes, I think that the federal funds are coming. Um, and I think that the government here is really working hard to make sure that these funds and these works are doing faster. I still think there's a lot of bureaucracy involved um, in terms of getting those funds to the people that need it. So definitely part of our interventions that SBP does, not only in Puerto Rico, but also in the other areas of the states that we've been working on, is really advise and prepare local government advisors in better ways to manage these federal fundings. As a matter of fact, at our headquarters in New Orleans, we give the leadership practitioner course to many municipality and government leaders who can participate in these trainings on how to manage more efficiently this funding. And this is definitely what we want to do help, what we want to do here in Puerto Rico as well. That's fantastic. It sounds like you're out there helping out a lot of entities, organizations, governments so that they can be better prepared. With what's going on right now with the snow and all the storms, and it seems like there is ice everywhere. Are you finding that your services are very much still in need even though it's not necessarily a hurricane? We do, and last year we did help um, the, the, the ice storm that happened in Texas. And as soon as we can, we're gonna send a team in deployment to assess the damage and see how we can help. Because every time there's a disaster, SBP is gonna be there uh, to provide long-term recovery. That's amazing, absolutely fantastic. And so for the people who volunteer and who pitch in, are they able to obtain um, short-term housing for while they're there? Or how did they make it work? Is it largely people who are local and can afford their own stay? Yes, we welcome everyone to volunteer. Uh, we don't provide housing uh, to volunteers, uh, but we don't charge anything. We don't ask them to bring anything as well. We provide all the tools and materials for them to be able to support our work. So we just kind of ask them to 
be there. So we rely most of local volunteers as well. But we have found that we have many people that have volunteered with us already that are interested in always helping. So I, I definitely can count on our amazing volunteers that are going to be there when we need them. Absolutely. And so for those out there watching, I definitely encourage you to volunteer in 2023, if not in the last few days of 2022, because as we are seeing with all the news coverage, the flight stoppage, the ice, the everything, mm-hmm. uh, that there are a lot of people in need across the country. So uh, definitely connect with SBP. And can you tell us, is there anything on your agenda that's coming up? Well, apart from celebrating 250, we're excited to start working uh, next year, starting rebuilding for Hurricane Fiona homes affected in Puerto Rico. As we continue our work in Maria, and excited to hit the 300 threshold number. Uh, we're also helping with the disaster FEMA appeals for affected survivors that are soliciting FEMA help um, and are denied by FEMA. So we have a team that is prepared to help these affected survivors get more funding from FEMA that they desperately need to rebuild. Wonderful. And so when it comes to getting additional funding, is that something um, that you end up doing in terms of crowdfunding for them? Or do you help work in getting the paperwork in? Uh, I guess what efforts are you able to provide that really truly uh, enrich these individuals? So as you may know, FEMA denies most of its applicants when 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 they're affected by a disaster due to the lack of documentation or they just don't necessarily have the proper uh, documentation or estimates by contractors. So SPP helps them by even paying contractors to provide free estimates for the clients so that they can appeal directly to FEMA and we handle all the appeal process so they can get more funding from FEMA to rebuild their home, home homes. That's fantastic. I actually did not know that FEMA uh, denies people considerably. And especially I would imagine it's a very, very difficult situation when you've just lost your home, your housing, your situation and all the documentation and maybe the support you'd have. And so your life has been upended and to be able to fill out everything and get everything, it just almost seems impossible. So yeah. And to that to that point, Adrian, we have a whole list of resources, free resources on our sbpusa.org page. So I welcome everyone to go to sbpusa.org and download all these free guides and resources to help them pre-disaster and post-disaster recovery, including insurance guides, um, how to avoid contractor fraud and how to solicit FEMA aid. That's excellent. Oh my goodness, the work that you do, I know that is so incredibly valuable to members of our communities, uh, as well as people who may be abroad. But also the thing that is also so incredibly important is that these are the most vulnerable times and moments of people's lives. And so to have you there to help them is so big. And so can you please tell the viewers out there who may want to get involved or access more information where they should go? They should just go to our webpage, sbpusa.org, or find us on Facebook or Instagram under SBPUSA. And we have the links to all the operations, including Puerto Rico, and how they can volunteer, donate, or register as an AmeriCorps member uh, to join our team. Fabulous. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Edgardo Maldonado, Executive Director, SBP. Thank you, Adri, for having me.
And welcome back to the conversation. It's Adrian Lawrence and I have more very interesting news for you. And this time joining me is Matt Cantor. That's the Guardian's copy editor. Thanks so much for joining us, Matt. Thanks for having me, Adrian. Yes, so 2022, it is about to be in the books. And speaking kind of of books and words, well, I know there have been a lot of words out there that popped up this year that seem to have really kind of given 2022 its exclamation point, whether it's quiet quitting or as you've noted with your article, goblin mode. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, a lot of them seem to have to do with work in some way. Um, it felt like kind of the most prominent ones that that we noticed um, at the Guardian were, um, yeah, Goblin Mode, which is this idea of sort of um, it, it was Oxford's word of the year. It was it's sort of about abandoning all pretense of respectability and just living according to like your foulest instincts, which might mean like lying in bed, eating Cheetos all day, and watching Netflix, throwing your trash on the floor, that kind of thing. Um, and then, so that was sort of like the the rebellion against like an Instagram curated lifestyle. And then the sort of like work counterpart to that was um, quiet quitting, which refers to kind of like doing the the bare minimum at work, um, which was coined, I think, by a career coach who was criticizing hustle culture. Um, and uh, that one also turned up in a lot of sort of end of year word lists. Um, I think it's probably sort of a, a sort of like well, I hesitate to say post-pandemic because we're still in a pandemic, but you know, sort of post the worst of the pandemic uh, realization that maybe people don't want to let work define them as much as it as it had, you know, in 2019. Absolutely, and it's interesting because I was just going to make that observation. Um, I, you know, I think with the pandemic making us realize um, that we are not infallible, that uh, all sorts of nonsense is completely and totally not within our control, and so why not just live according to your own terms and value what you value. And that seems to be somewhat reflected with these terms, eh? Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, I, one of my colleagues, another Guardian writer, Ty O'Barrow was pointing out that um, this idea of quiet quitting sort of has been framed as like this rebellion, but in a way like it should, shouldn't be the norm to have to do more than what your job description entails, you know, um, all this extra work. Is kind of it's also often put on women and particularly women of color doing what what she describes in her piece as um the office housework, which is sort of like daily tasks that need doing but don't get you noticed by the by the higher ups, like organizing workplace social events and stuff like that. Um, so I think her piece maybe sort of reframed the idea of quiet quitting to me as something that we should all probably just be doing, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and, and it also seems to go within the broader framework because something that I noticed coming out of the pandemic, even though it feels like it was just yesterday, even though we're still in it, but um, is we're seeing a lot of unionization and people standing up and pushing back against uh, these major corporations or companies and ensuring that you know their needs are taken care of. And so with quiet quitting also being within that framework of not feeling abused or taken advantage of. But it's sad because quiet quitting has almost, well, it has a negative connotation as opposed to, no, nah, I'm not, I'm just not gonna do the work that I'm not getting paid for. And I'm good with that. And right. how that could just be doing my job. <laughs> exactly, like another way to phrase it would just be doing your job. Um, it's, it's you know, we have the word quitting in it, but it it doesn't. You know, it's just a reaction to a culture that I think calls on us to to do more than what we actually are expected to do. You know, 
Mm -hmm, exactly. And it would be nice if a lot of these employers kind of got it together in terms of recognizing that all of the efforts people are putting in, even when it comes to providing emotional support and emotional labor in the workplace, that we're not being compensated for it. And that it is something that is detracting from us having enriching lives elsewhere. So not doing it anymore is completely and totally acceptable. And if you want people to do more, pay them. Yes. But also, I really do love goblin mode, not just because I am in my personal just sloth mode right now in between the two holidays and just wanting to enjoy as much TV and comfort food as possible. But I like how you frame this as kind of just the juxtaposition to this cultivated Instagram perfection lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's kind of an escape from that, um, and uh, it's really appealing for that reason. Um, I think another thing a few people have pointed out this is this is not by any means my original idea, but you know that app um, Be Real that was out this year that uh, a lot of people were sort of um, it was a sort of a reaction against this like perfect life and trying to cast yourself as more of a um, as an authentic person, um, and you know maybe that does involve lying in bed and just scrolling through Instagram all day, um, but there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, so I, I like I like the idea that a term the term is sort of allowing us to recognize and embrace that that uh, behavior that we all do behind closed doors. You know, absolutely, and maybe even encourage more people not to feel that they have to maintain this um, idealistic uh, portrayal of their lives, as opposed to just you know being more authentic uh, in every space. And so in terms of your work with 2022 and looking back, what else did you notice? Um, well, there were a few, so those those felt like the words that were sort of the most prominent that were talked about uh, sort of all over the media. But there were a lot of little words that I think sort of slipped under the radar this year that I thought were interesting. Um, there was it's the sort of polar opposite of quiet quitting was Elon Musk's um, telling Twitter employees that they needed to be quote, extremely hardcore. Um, which was something that he put in an office memo. Um, not exactly clear what that means, but it seems like it sort of is about expecting your life to revolve around work. Um, you know, probably has something to do with the fact that beds were apparently turning up in Twitter offices. Um, and it also just makes you wonder, like, wasn't Twitter? Well, obviously, people's behavior on it has always been despicable. But on the other hand, like from a technological perspective, it seems like it's always been fine. So I'm not really sure why he felt like. People weren't being extremely hardcore enough in the first place, um, but it was just an interesting juxtaposition with those those other two phrases we just talked about. Um, Absolutely, and I understand that uh, Silicon Valley, the execs there are trying to make a push to essentially take away small benefits people have uh, that they've been providing because it's a thought that people have gotten too comfortable. Uh, mm-hmm. Where it, I don't necessarily think that's the case, as much as a lot of these, um, you know, higher ups want individuals to bend the knee. They want to have that feeling of superiority, as though I'm dangling your future and your livelihood in my hands, and so I want you to jump. And so that it just seems very twisted, like a response or a return to some kind of feudal system in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and on the sort of lighter end, um, there are a few words that I have not heard anyone else point out um, as being all over the place this year. But like as a copy editor, they were just everywhere. One was uh, the word about, this is a super nerdy, but I'm going to say it anyway, has kind of turned into like around. So people have stopped saying, um, you know, something you might say like uh, the discussion about the return to the office uh, has become the discussion around 
the return to the office, which to me, I think is sort of like this performative thing that makes the word about seem kind of smarter. Like if you say, I have concerns around mental health, that sounds sort of more thoughtful than concerns about mental health. Um, that was something that that came up a lot. Um, and also uh, sort of going hand in hand with that is that the phrase or the word discussion has kind of become discourse, even when they're talking about like, um, you know, uh, Harry Styles supposedly spitting on Chris Pine. We now have like discourse about that instead of just saying we're posting about it. We're we're having a discourse about it. It's a discourse about you know masculinity and saliva production or something like that. Um, if you talk about the discourse on Twitter, it's just a way of signaling that you're 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 in the conversation. You you're a real Twitter expert. You know, it sounds more highbrow as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. But- Perfectly fine. Oh, the whole about around thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as I'm concerned, our society is not necessarily as direct as it should be. Mm-hmm. And so instead of just saying, I want to talk about something or and using that around kind of thing, it almost plays into that. Well, let me avoid an issue in terms of my directness and I'm going to more, I don't know, tiptoe around it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's totally right, and I hadn't totally thought of it that way. That's a that's a really great point. Um, yeah, because I, I had thought about how you know, yeah, talking around a subject is that has it's a very specific meaning. It means yeah, you're skipping it. You're you're not quite touching on the the subject itself. Um, so yeah, uh, but I hadn't thought of it the way you put it. Well, um, in terms of uh, sort of a way of our culture ducking subjects. Um, yeah, it's it's very useful in that way. It's sort of a very vague term. Um, and probably makes people feel a lot more secure, especially because uh, they don't want to be as direct as they should be. Um, but I have my own issues with that. <laughs> uh, in terms of 2023 and what could be on the cusp of things that you have seen more toward the end of 2022 that could hop on over, or other things that you're like, oh, I, I really foresee this showing up. Yeah. Um, well. Uh, another one that has come up just at the end, uh, speaking of the pandemic, is this triple demic that's going on right now with uh, sort of like COVID uh, was insulted that we weren't paying any attention to it this year. So now it's brought like two of its little respiratory virus buddies, the flu and RSV. Um, and uh, so we've got like three viruses going around. So who knows, like by the end of next year, is it going to be a quadruple demic? I mean, I, I hope not. Um, and. Another one that I that I really liked this year was when Serena Williams um, sort of semi-retired from tennis. She said that she was evolving away from it, which is I always get annoyed when celebrities say they're going to retire from something because they never do. You know, you had like Tom Brady retiring and then coming back forty days later. Um, retired from his marriage, but yeah, <laughs> that too. Yep, yep. And I mean, people do this all the time. Uh, celebrities, you know, they don't they're kind of freelancers, right? So they don't really have to retire. Um, so I like the word evolving and I wonder if if more celebrities like speaking of 2023 are going to start using that as a way to say like I'm distancing myself from it, but that doesn't mean I'm never going to do another movie or never play another tournament, you know? Yeah, and I, I, I like that too. I, I agree that does sound less um, final mm-hmm. uh, because it does get annoying when they're like, I'm out and then all of a sudden they're like, I'm back. And so, mm-hmm. um, but I also think it's less offensive than words like uh, uncoupling. Yes, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not as infuriating as as uncoupling for sure. <laughs> well, I really want to thank you so much for enlightening us to all the words that you came across in your work, uh, which I find to be extremely fascinating, uh, especially watching you know people's discourse seem to evolve in various ways. <laughs> 
So Matt, if people want to follow your work, where can they find you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter um, at Cantor Matthew C A N T O R M A T T H E W. Uh, that's my main sort of social media handle. Fantastic. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. That's Matt Cantor, the Guardian copy editor. Thank you so much for having me.